We are in Isaiah chapter 52 today. <clears throat> For uh, those of you that uh, are visiting with us today, we've been taking a long and slow journey through the book of Isaiah, uh, basically chapter by chapter. So if we're on chapter uh, 52 today, that means we've been here for a year or maybe a couple of weeks more than a year. So that's what we're doing. We're going, taking a slow walk through Isaiah. Uh, well, let's read a few verses and then we'll, uh, we'll talk about it. Uh, well, wait. In chapter 52, first of all, there's a division between verses 6 and 7, uh, sort of different topics. Verses 1 through 6, repeat the call for Jerusalem to awake and lay hold of her salvation. Verses 7 through 12 begin to present how God will redeem Israel. So let's read a few here. Uh, verse 1, 52, 1. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing? Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually... All the day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. And again, Isaiah is prophesying here toward the upcoming Babylonian captivity. They've already had this big Assyrian invasion in northern Israel. That's been a disaster for them, and that's all over. So now Isaiah is prophesying out toward the upcoming captivity in Babylon. And then... Indeed, their return from Babylon. Uh, so, verse 1, awake, awake. Uh, in fifty, chapter 51, verse 9, there's the same kind of uh, uh, wording. So let's look at 51, 9, where Isaiah says again, awake, awake. Put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces that pierced the dragon? Uh, so uh, in 51.9, uh, it's Zion, or really the Lord, who's called upon to put on strength. And uh, then Zion beholds the destruction of these monsters that are uh, uh, against her. In 52.1, Zion's called upon to awake, and she puts on strength. She puts on her best clothes, and in verse 8, she sings for joy. So we have the battle that's sort of completed here in chapter 51, and now rejoicing in 52. Zion puts on her Sunday best and begins to praise the Lord. All right. Uh, verse 1, also, the uncircumcised and the unclean shall not be walking around in Zion. So this would be the uncircumcised of heart shall not walk in Zion, neither shall the unclean. 
as is mentioned in Colossians 2, 11 through 15. If someone would look that up for us, that's Colossians 2, 11 through 15. And then if someone also would get Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 through 27, we'll read those. Uh, the unclean will not be walking around in Zion prophetically then in Colossians chapter 2 verses 11 through 15 in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the hand of writing of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, meaning the cross. This is how we're made clean, by faith in Christ. And so the apostle lays it out there in Colossians about what's going on. This is also what the New Testament means by being circumcised. Ezekiel mentions this also. He talks about circumcision of the heart. So physical circumcision is a symbol as it were, for actually being born again or having a relationship with Christ is really what's so simple about. And the, so the New Testament fills this out and makes it clearer. Yes, Craig. Did you have anything? No, no. no. Okay. Okay. Any? Is that everybody good so far? Okay. Uh, all right. In this language, then, about the unclean not walking around in Zion, if we'll apply that prophetically a little bit. John picks this up in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 22 through 27, if someone has that. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Yeah. So the unclean are not going to be walking around in the kingdom of God, only those who have been circumcised in heart. And so... You know, the New Testament's picking this language up and so forth and explaining it a little more. Okay. Everybody okay? Anything? All right. Have we hit verse uh, four yet? No, we have not. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, actually, let's see here. We're still on verse one. <laughs> let's go to verse two. <laughs> Again, this is the call to Zion. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. So again, the bondage of Zion will end. Uh, literally, Israel 
is going to come back from Babylonian captivity and re-inhabit the land again. We know this. Spiritually, the Israel of God, us, uh, God is going to loose our captivity also. And, we, and we're talking about this. I mean, He does it through the Gospel. So, uh, the Old Testament is just prophesying, prophesying, prophesying toward, toward this. You know, Verse 3. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. Uh, so, our redemption, and Zion's redemption, is another kind of redemption, you know. I mean, redemption actually is a market term, right? If you go down and hawk your father's pocket watch, uh, and the broker lends you $100 with that surety, it's possible for you to go back and redeem that watch. When you redeem it, you pay that guy back plus his fee or whatever it is, and your watch is redeemed. So you pay the guy back and the watch is redeemed. But however, our redemption uh, does not consist in money. It consists in blood by which we are redeemed. Okay, maybe we'll talk about that more. All right. Uh, verses 4 and 5. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing? Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Uh, and Connor, you can talk here too. Uh, basically, exile and redemption are just a continual theme in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. Exile, come back. Exile, come back. Exile, I'm going to redeem. Come back. So this is also prophesying toward the final revelation of God in the New Testament as Christ redeems us and we come back to God. Well, I was just going to ask, when did this happen? Because it sounds like they went straight from Egypt to Assyrian oppression. Is he just sort of conflating the whole it sounds like story of Israel's oppression? It sounds like, yes, it sounds like he's conflating. Okay. Yes, I think so. Again, it's just this exile and return, you know, theme. Yeah, I mean, he's listing the, the troubles that they've had. Yeah. You know, the captivity in Egypt. And they this lost the northern kingdom. The southern <laughs> kingdom was beset by, yeah. by the Assyrians. So. Yeah, that's true. The Assyrians almost got the southern kingdom. It's like us saying, well, there was World War One, But then there was World War Yeah. Okay, let's go to verse uh, 6. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. So, return from exile is a continuing theme. Then my people will know my name. Uh, how exactly is this going to happen? Uh, let's look at Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 21. This is Ezekiel... Uh, I turned right to it. 36.21. Yes. God is also concerned with his reputation and the reputation of his name here in, in Ezekiel. Uh, so here it is. Ezekiel 36 beginning at 21. 
But I had concern for my holy name, here it is, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore, thus says, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. How about it? I'm going to show myself holy, says God. So this, he's working through Israel. I mean, it's not so much about them, it's about God, right? Uh, <clears throat> For my sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. Look at that. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you... I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God, and I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord. God, let it be known to you, be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. So God acts for his own sake in his own name, and guess how he does it here with Israel in verse 26. He gives them a new heart and a new spirit he puts within them. So he's not talking about just you know, living in the land and, and, and building houses and that, there's something else going on here now. I mean, Israel's receiving a new heart and a new spirit. So, in my mind, clearly, he's talking about being born again here. There's something new that's happening. It's not just obeying a set of laws and trying to be holy and all that, and, you know, which the Israelites can't do and we can't either. Uh, uh, as my... Bible teacher used to say, if you think you're so holy, let us put a candid camera in your home and check it out. You know, uh, I mean, we've got problems. We need to be redeemed. Uh, all right. Everybody with me so far? All right. All right, let's go back to Isaiah 52, verse 7. Uh, if someone would look up, please, Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. And then Romans 10, verses 14 through 17. We'll take a look at those. So, uh, now, we're getting more specifically into, I think, the redemption of Israel. And we might say the Israel of God, obviously. And how God does it. So verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, 
who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So this is good news that Israel is called upon to proclaim. We are also. The Hebrew word here is bashar, which means good news. The Greek word is euangelizo or euangelion, which means the gospel or good news. And so what we've done is to uh, make an English word out of this Greek word, and it comes down to us as evangelism, evangelize, evangelistic, evangelicals, all of that. It means uh, proclaimers of the good news movement or participants in the good news movement. Okay. Uh, all right. So this is what Jesus sends his disciples out to do. In Matthew 10, if someone has that, verses 1 through 10, you read that for us. I have it. I have it. Go ahead. What were the verses? 1 through 10. Oh. It's a long one. And having summoned his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax gatherer, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, saying, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Do not, requ do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts, or a bag for your journey, or even two tunics, or sandals, or a staff, for the worker is worthy of his support. And that's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Christ sends his apostles out to proclaim this good news, and also to participate in healing ministry and all these things. I mean, this, this is these are big events in Israel, right? Paul picks up on it in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. Someone has that. Go ahead. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, have they never heard? On the contrary, they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation, by a nation without understanding, I will anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, 
all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Okay. So Paul is picking up here also with this passage in Isaiah. He's talking about going out, publishing the good news. Um, Israel is uh, hardened up. And he's really reading from this passage right here because in 53.1, which we'll close with today, he, uh, Isaiah, well, God says through Isaiah, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So Paul, he's working on that. I mean, this passage right here in Isaiah. Okay, let's go on. Uh, verse in Isaiah 52, verse 8. Uh, the voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Uh, eye to eye, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. The idiom here is right before their eyes. Right before their eyes, they see the Lord, return of the Lord to Zion. So the watchmen are filled with joy. Uh, well, I'm doing a lot of references to the New Testament here today. John picks this up in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Maybe I could read that one. Uh, 1 John 3, 2. Yes, First John 3.2. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. So John points that out to a future hope of our seeing Christ, particularly in the second coming. And when we see Christ in the second coming, we're going to be like Him. What does this mean? <laughs> it means that we're going to have physical bodies like our Lord has. I'm thinking about developing a sermon. I don't know if I'll ever preach it or not. Called, uh, How Will I Get Out? That's going to be the title of it. And uh, the theme is going to be, In the Day of the Resurrection... When I have my new body, how am I going to get out of the grave? That's bothered me for a while. <laughs> and I think the answer is because I'm going to be like Christ in His body. Christ can move invisibly from one place in the universe to another instantaneously. But when He appears, His body is real. It's hard. Okay? You figure it out. But that seems to be the nature of his glorified body. What do you think, David? Walk through doors. I don't think he walked through a door. I think he just appeared. He just he just disappeared and reappeared. Yeah. Yeah. Well, God is also omnipresent. Mm, that's a that's a hard one. <laughs> and yet he can appear as a as a body when he's um, mm. so desired. Well, he has a body in glory today. Exactly. Yeah. That is omnipresent. But he's omnipresent. Well, that's a riddle. We'll, we'll think about that. Perhaps it's beyond us. It could be. <laughs> could be. All right. So John says, "When we see him, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is." So that's resurrection morning. You know. All right, uh, let's go to verse 9. Uh, okay. 
Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. He has redeemed Jerusalem. But as Isaiah and the other prophets are talking about, it's not with silver and gold, it's something else. It's another kind of redemption. So this is the final manifestation of the blood of the eternal covenant. It's with blood that God redeems us. But this covenant was made eternally before, before the Son of God had assumed a body. So that this is... This is, this is God's work. I mean, this is God's, if we could say. This is God's mind. And it's always been this way. To redeem us through the blood of His Son. I mean, He didn't come up with a new thought here. All right. Well, what am I going to do with these people? No, I mean, it's always this way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the redemption of Jerusalem and of us is done at an infinitely high cost to God Himself. He demonstrates His love toward us in this way. Verse 10, The Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Um, as we've mentioned several times before, when Isaiah is using this, the arm of the Lord, or the hand of the Lord, it's really talking about salvation. This is the... Can God say, in other words, the hand of the Lord, is? this is the idea when it's using this kind of word. So the Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. So that, that's, that's what it's talking about. Um, well, could that also yes. be reference to the crucifixion? Well, possibly. Well, he's, he's raised, yes, yes, possibly. Well, and then really, even, we're still seeing it today. <laughs> we recount it all the time, don't That's we? That's exactly right. We're constantly seeing the crucifixion of Christ in a lot of ways. Yeah. Constantly. Very good. Okay. Uh, let's go on. Verses 11 and 12. Depart, depart. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste. And you shall not go in flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. So this is talking about the regathering of the Jews out of captivity. I mean, this would be the context here. Uh, so that, that, that's what's going on here. Future return from Babylonian captivity. Uh, verse 13, and, and David, I think what you say is, is going to be true here in verse 13. Uh, Isaiah in verse 13, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So we get two things here about God being high and lifted up. Uh, let's look at some other passages here. This is all in Isaiah. Uh, Jim, if you'd look up uh, in uh, chapter 6, verse 1, and Craig, chapter 33, verse 10, and Katie, and Isaiah 57, verse 15, I think he uses these phrases high and lifted up in all of these passages. Go ahead, Jim. 6-1. Six, one. Six, one. 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled with the Yeah. So one sense in which the Lord is high is lifted up is in his glory and his excellence. He's high and lifted up. I mean, he's glorious in his, his, his being, you know, and we fall down and worship. Um, Isaiah 33.10, Craig. Now I will rise, says the Lord. Now I will be exalted. Now will I lift myself up. I don't know the context. I don't remember, but I think it's the same. It's the, just the worship of God, you know, high and exalted. Katie, uh, Isaiah fifty-seven, fifteen. For thus says the high and exalted well. one, who lives forever, whose name is holy. I will dwell on a high and holy place, and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the Okay, so this again is God in glory being high and lifted up, but here he condescends to minister to the poor and lowly. Beautiful. To us. To us. Thank God. More or less to us. That is correct. So, in these passages, these other passages from Isaiah, it's a, a heavenly view or an exaltation view of God in glory, particularly Isaiah 6.1. I mean, it's clear. But in this passage here, in verse... Uh, let's see, verse 13 and verses 13 and 14. Behold, my servant shall act wisely, he shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Now, we've been talking about the servant here, as Connor and I have been doing this, and sometimes it seems that the servant is Israel. The servant is Israel. I mean, they accomplish his purposes, they accomplish his purposes. But the unique servant then is Christ, and, and some of these things can't apply, you know, I mean, to Israel. They apply to a person. So we begin to get this in verse 14. So in verse 13, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. We worship Christ. Verse 14, Many were astonished at you. His appearance was marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. This is something different now. All right, this is not... God on his throne. This is Christ on the cross. So he changes now from that exaltation to the, well, however you want to put it, I mean, to the humiliation of Christ on the cross. Yeah? He said, though, would I not be lifted up? I mean, I will, lift, I will be lifted up so that I can draw all men unto me. Indeed. Indeed. And I say also, he's taking the wrath so of God from him. Indeed. Yeah. Go ahead, Dave. I said, I said that is that is a, a glorified Christ in our in our case. Well, he's glorified in the sense that we glorify him because he has done this great thing. That was our redemption, right there. Yeah. Very good. Well, like like that that passage in Colossians, he he made a mockery. Uh, the powers and principalities right. through the cross. I mean, right. That is his glory. Wow. It's it's a contradiction in human terms, but yes. that is his glory. Connor. I, I, I think the uh, the scandal of this oracle is a little lost on us because yeah. we're a little removed from it. Yeah. So so yeah. there was a long standing tradition in the pagan societies around Israel. So think Babylon, Assyria 
even the Canaanites to an extent when they had kings. It was a it was a common practice for if if you think that there's uh, evil that's about to befall the king, you you put a substitute on the throne, and the king goes into hiding until the evil is passed. Really? No kidding. Oh, wow. wow. God is not just saying that he's going to be the servant. He's he's taking this this well-known pagan practice and applying it to himself. It's it's like the snake on the pole. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I mean, the snake on the pole was a that was a pagan symbol. I mean, we talked about that a few weeks back. Yeah. And so yeah. there's a there's a real scandal in this where God says, I'm going to take this and I'm going to redeem it in order to teach you something about myself. Amen. Very good. Yeah. All right. Because it, it's, it's the next verse that to me that gets it too. So. Let's read it. Okay. Let's go back to verse 14 then and we'll read 15. Uh, As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they, sh- they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. The word sprinkle here, I will sprinkle many nations, which is great. It could also mean startle either way. Either either way would work. I mean, he will startle many nations through the yes, we're, we're startled at God's work here. Or he sprinkles many nations, yes. Uh, so how does he do it? Hebrews chapter 9, verses beginning with verse 19. Let's look at Hebrews 9. This is how he does it. Um, yeah. uh, 19. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded for you. And it... I'm still working through all these things, all right? I, just, uh, I don't have a total handle on all this. Uh, this is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded for you, yes. There were covenants made between God and Abraham and others where animals were sacrificed. But Hebrews lets us know that there was the blood of an eternal covenant. This is the covenant between the Father and the Son uh, concerning blood, and it's eternal which means that this covenant was made before the universe existed simply simply when God existed and there was nothing else if you can conceive of that. <laughs> there was a covenant and it concerned blood so Moses says this is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded for you boom 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 he sprinkles them and in the same way he sprinkled with blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship indeed under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things. In other words, all this Israel deal with the building of the temple and all the tremendous symbolism and all that that was in the temple and all that and the animal sacrifice and so forth. Uh, 
the author of Hebrews says these were copies of the true things. These were representatives. This, this wasn't the true thing. This is a representative of the true thing. Uh, but Christ has gone into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So this is how it seems to me that God sprinkles the nations. And Moses is kind of a prototype of this. and You know, I mean, the animal blood, all this. I mean, they're going through this for hundreds of years. I mean, they're going through this all the time. And finally, Christ shows up with a once and for all ultimate last sacrifice, and that's it. And then in 70 AD, the temple is destroyed. Guess what? No more animal sacrifice. It's all over. Old Testament Judaism is over. It's done. There's no more animal sacrifice. It's over. So now we live in the days of the new covenant. Everybody with me? <laughs> Go ahead, Jim. Yeah, it's really the oldest one. Yeah, it's really, it's really the old one. Yeah. Go ahead, David. This, this uh, sprinkling is what gets to me because I don't know. This is this will sound a little bit strange, but it came to me. So uh, that when uh, you know when I, I first realized that the water supply on Earth is finite. Okay, there's only so much water. We keep recycling it over and over and over and over again. When Christ died on the cross, his blood, rainstorm, whatever, his blood drained out and went into Gehenna, gets down, floats into the Mediterranean Sea, gets into the Mediterranean Sea, goes to the Atlantic Sea, goes to the Atlantic to the Pacific Sea. Hmm. Pretty soon, the DNA, the blood of Christ, is everywhere. intermingling with every drop of water in, that's in our finite world. And so in a sense, every time you wash your hands, every time you take a drink of water, every time you, every time you sprinkle your lawn, in some ways, we're, we are connected in some way with the blood of Christ. Why don't you develop a sermon on that? <laughs> <laughs> It just seemed a little shrunk, but you know, I mean, I'm just throwing it out there. So. Well, Jesus in, in John says, I am life. Yeah. Uh, in some way, he is fountain of life for every living thing that ever was or ever will be. And the life is in the blood, you know. So, for some, somehow, somehow he was life itself manifested as a human being. Maybe on something there. <laughs> so, well, I know this. It's changed the way I deal with water. <laughs> yeah, okay. you got to be respect for it. Yeah, I have, I have so much more respect for it. You know, so I'm careful not to just waste it. It gets recycled. That's what's beautiful about it. Even even when we waste the water, 
somehow it goes back into the ground. It always it comes back. It goes back to the sea, and then the sun shines on it and brings it up. It rains back. You know, I mean, it just keeps, just keeps going round and round and round. Mm -hmm. Or it goes down to the earth and just goes through the sand and just clean. And what we're looking for is clean, pure water. Always. Mm -hmm. That's what we're looking for. Go ahead, Jim. Just one verse relating to what they were saying. It just made me think of it. Uh, and it's uh, after it's talking about the Trinity first, of course, uh, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. But verse 8 and 1 John 5 says, And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit and the water, Oh, there you go. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> All right. Be careful how you make your call. I'm going to close where we'll begin, uh, not next week, but in two weeks, uh, with 53.1 then. Isaiah says, Who has believed our report? I like King James better. Who has believed what they heard from us? Come on, guys. I mean... Can't you be a little more poetic? I mean, come on. Who has believed yeah. our message? Better. King James, even better. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Much better. Much better. Uh, well, uh, so this is actually the good news here as Isaiah is, is recounting it. Therefore, who is believing this good news? Uh, so this is the salvation report that Israel... And is us, Israel of God, takes into the whole world. So to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed then? Well, evidently to those that believe. I mean, there are some that believe and some that don't. So The answer is actually in uh, 52.15. Let's hear it. Usually the answer first. For what the nations had not been told them, they shall see. And what the nations had not heard, they shall consider. Speaking of the Gentile nations. Yeah. Yeah. So, the arm of the Lord has revealed to all these folks. All right. Thanks for your attention. That's all I have for today. And we will see you in worship service. Thank you.